Wow! It's in these trials that God begins to mold us and make us more into the image of His Son. And yet we try to suppress them. We try to hide them from our brothers and sisters rather than going to our brothers and sisters and saying, listen, I got a, I got a problem, right? I got an issue that I can't kick and I need you to pray and to intercede with me on behalf of God's grace and mercy that He might sanctify me, that He might rid this sin in my life so that He might be glorified, that He might be exalted. And so he says, come to me, all who are weary. He doesn't go to the book, go to the man, go to... No, come to me. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. And he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stuart. If you will, let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning, John 5, 1 to 17. That's going to be our text. But before we get started, I want to bring us up to uh, where we are contextually as we get started this morning, as we begin looking at chapter 5. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been working through the book of John, and we have approached chapter 5. Between chapters 2 and chapter 7, we find the public ministry of Jesus. First, we see Christ and his encounters in chapters 2 to chapter 4. In chapter 2, we see the encounter there in Jerusalem when he cleanses the temple. Chapter 3, we see Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and how he tells him, unless he is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then as we approach chapter 4 we see Jesus encountering the Samaritan woman as he goes up through Sychar, a place where the Jews had no business being, but Jesus being countercultural, knowing the need of this lady and her salvation, goes straight through Samaria. And then we see in chapter 4 the Samaritan revival that takes place because of this woman's faith. The second thing we see is Christ dealing with healings. Chapter 4, we just noticed the healing of the official son in which Jesus said, Go, your son lives. And it says the man believed. And so two weeks ago, we looked at what it was to have genuine faith. Genuine faith was not spiritual curiosity. It was not an emotional experience. And many times it's not a one-time decision unless you truly understand the gospel and believe the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we come into chapter 5, we see Jesus healing the lame man, which we'll look at in detail today. And then in the next few chapters, we see Christ's future signs, like feeding the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water and Jesus speaking on the bread of life. And then we, that kind of gives us the context of Jesus' public ministry. This morning I have three things I want to point out from chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. The first thing I want us to get is the fact that Christ wants to meet you. Secondly, Christ wants to hear you. And thirdly, Christ wants to change you. The first thing that we see and read about here in this passage is the Feast of the Jews. It said in verse 1, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So this seems to be the second trip to Jerusalem. He has just arrived, remember, to his hometown in Capernaum where he heals 
this nobleman's son. He leaves there and he ends up going back to Jerusalem yet again for the feast of the Jews. Notice here John says the feast of the Jews. He says this six times in the gospel. And in this account, he names the feast of the Jews that were taking place. Three times John referred to the feast of the Passovers. One time John referred to the feast of the booths. And one time John referred to the feast of dedications. This is the only passage which John does not reveal to us exactly which feast that it is. We're not sure of what this is referring to. And John simply seems to be explaining that there is a festival and this is the reason that Jesus is coming now back to Jerusalem. He says here in verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool and stirred up the water, Whoever then first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease which was afflicted. I'm going to pause for a moment here. Whose Bible in here does not contain verses 3 and 4? Raise your hand. Okay. So, what's the deal with that? Um, If you're carrying the NASB, you'll notice that it is what? italicized it's 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 in brackets because what this is stating is that most likely this verses three and four were not in the original hebrew text okay the verse is not just missing in the niv the situation is the same in the esv the nrsv the cev and the new living translation and as well the net bible which was put out by dallas theological seminary if you're holding the nasb or the ncv You will see the verse, but it's been placed inside, again, brackets. Now, I want to explain why. Whereas the King James Version and New King James, they contain verses 4 without any, right, quotations. So what's going on here as we look at John 4? I feel like this is important, and I decided to add this in this morning as I was in my office because, well, I don't want there any confusion. If you are using a Bible, a study Bible, that doesn't have verse 4, you'll likely see a note at the end of verse 3 or the beginning of verse 5 explaining why it isn't there. Uh, This is a textbook case of a disagreement between manuscripts of the the Greek New Testament. What would be in John 4 5 is missing material that begins in verse 3 is not found in any of the earliest manuscripts, which we would hold to the fact that we believe those are the most accurate manuscripts. Um, And so textual critics have discovered that in roughly two dozen manuscripts, scribes have put asterisk marks at the verse to warn the next scribe that they would copy, when they would copy the manuscript, that the verse was likely not in the original. Okay? So to top it off, all four of the last five Greek words that we find here in these verses, we find nowhere else in the book of John. And so we, we assume that these are not a part of the original. But I love the fact that the NSA puts them in there so that this is not something that becomes, a, it's not questionable. We know there's not, nothing to be hidden here. 
And so the suggestion that John 5 doesn't belong in the New Testament, which explains why many of the modern Bible translations have omitted it. Okay, so with that in, in mind, the reality is, is we see it, we read it, and we understand it. It may have been something in the day that I believe, historically speaking, was some kind of supernatural um, thought process of what happened in the time. But he says here in chapter 5, verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which in, the, in Hebrew is called Bethsaida, having five portugals. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and were waiting for the waters to move. Why were they waiting for the water? For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain season in the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever then first, after the stirring up the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease and affliction. Now, we see John speaking here of this place called the Sheep's Gate. It's referring to a gate that would later be named the Lion's Gate. I can see this gate as I traveled there to Israel and I stood there at this gate. It's a gate that faces the Kidron Valley. Drops down, comes up, and there on the other side you have the Mount of Olives. And where the Garden of Gethsemane is. If you go there today, there are still those olive trees that exist that are extremely old, that are dated back to the time of Christ. But the reality is, is many people would have traveled through this gate. And there's a good chance that Christ came through this gate and could have walked right past the pools of Bethesda. Now, Christ did walk, but he didn't walk past. He walks in. I believe that what we find here in Bethsaida, these people historically were waiting on a false god to stir the waters. A miracle healing, so to speak, by a god by the name of Asclepius. It was the god of medicine. And he was a god that would heal and work wonders. And it took place, they thought, here in this pool. And so when I believe that these things were added, it brought the cultural context into this. Christ most likely would have been one of the only religious leaders that would have entered into this what we call pagan sanitarium, a medical facility of long-term illnesses. But yet, Christ sees an opportunity. Doesn't Christ always seem to find his place where the culture says don't go. Pretty interesting. He sees these people laying around hopeless. The deep pools on the left side of Bethsaida waiting for uh, the water to stir so that they could be healed. Can you imagine these people hoping for healing, looking for a miracle to take place, laying around in pain and suffering, many blind, many crippled, many paralyzed as well? I want to ask you a question this morning. Who here has hopes of being healed? You know, we live in the flesh. And the result of the fall, we deal with pain. And we deal with suffering. Right? And many of us in our lives, we go through these at different times. I wonder how many here today want to be healed of some sickness, of some feeling of deadness, of some disconnect from the Christian walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there is some in here of pain because they've 
lost someone that they loved. Maybe there is someone here that is paralyzed in their walk because of sin in their lives that is keeping you from doing what God has called you to do in the kingdom. Maybe there are some here that are crippled from reaching out to the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ because you have this fear of sharing Jesus with somebody. What if they ask a question that I don't know and it paralyzes you? The reality is, is listen, there is hope. There is hope from, for those who have no hope. There is hope for those who once burned with passion for the Christian life. There is hope for those whom are crippled because of a carnal Christian lifestyle. And there is hope for those that are paralyzed from the Christian lifestyle because of a sin that has entangled you to the point of enabling you. Listen, every person in here needs to know that Christ today wants to meet you. He wants to meet you right where you are. He wants to meet you right where you are. In your pain and your suffering. In the middle of your marriage battles. In the middle of a life in which you have a rebellious child. He wants to meet you right in the middle of your lack of hunger for the word of God. The lack of desire to pray into the Lord daily. He wants to meet you right in the middle of the struggles with your finances. You fill in the blank. God wants to meet you wherever you are. See, we can come in these doors and we can dress up and we can put on our coats and we can look all fancy and we can do all these things and we can try to hide and suppress the reality of how messed up we really are, how messed up our lives can be, how messed up I am as a father in which I don't treat my children the way I should treat them every day and the way that I disrespect my wife when I should be loving on her and caring for her. We can come in, we can hide all that but i want you to know this morning you can't hide anything from the lord jesus christ but he wants to meet you where you are because that's the way he met everybody right where they were right where they were so let's look first at the fact that christ wants to meet you as we look here at jesus he comes into this place and he meets this man right where he is I mean, the Pharisees and the religious Jews wouldn't have wanted to step foot in this place for for fear of being rebuked or being considered unclean. But that doesn't stop Jesus, does it? He wanted to meet this sick man right where he was. And this is what Jesus did all the time, meeting sinners, meeting sick people, doing what was countercultural. And I think today the Lord wants to give us hope. He wants to give us hope for healing. He wants to give us hope for joy. And he wants to give us hope for a renewed life. Now that doesn't mean that we will all be healed, does it? People pass on and to go be with the Lord. Praise God. Right? If we are found in Jesus Christ, there is an eternity waiting. And for that we rejoice. Yes, we, we weep and we mourn because we lose those that we love. But we have a hope and a joy to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that, we can give praise. These these worship songs we sing this morning, they, they give us a great reminder of that. And so the reality is, is we're not always healed. Paul wasn't healed. He trusted Christ, but yet he had a thorn in the flesh. 
But in the end, he's eternally healed, isn't he? That's where our hope lies. We pray that God will heal. We pray that God will deliver. We pray that God will give us joy. We pray that God will reunite. He will fix. He will revitalize. He will do all those things that we... That's our prayer. That's our hope. And it's through this belief that we can experience all of these things. The ultimate is belief what? In Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because he gives us no promise in this earth that we will be healthy, wealth, and full of prosperity, does he? Now, that's an offer that we get in our culture, the prosperity gospel. But listen, God is a good God even when we are thrown a curveball in life. And many of you are testimonies to that. Many of you have lost loved ones. Many of you have struggled through constant pain in your life. Many of you have overcome those things and, and you rejoice even in spite of those. You just read Gina's post and how devastated she is many times, but often, many times, she's rejoicing in the and how good and great God is in spite of those circumstances. Does she want things back to normal? Of course. We all do. But sometimes God doesn't, does he? And yet we can still rejoice. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. This man was looking. He's waiting there to be healed. You see, it's not though until Christ comes on the scene that this takes place. He's the answer to the problem in this man's life. But I want you to know he's the answer to your problem as well. There is no guarantee that your life will be changed physically. There are many that want to point out this prosperity gospel, this, this, these miracles of healings and wealth and health and prosperity. Listen, I believe God can heal you, and I believe that God can provide for you. But if he chooses to do so in our lives, it's not because of us. It's because of God's grace. We can try reading books, the step-by-step process, right? We can try everything in our own power to overcome issues. We can try anything in the world But just like this man, if Christ never met his needs, he would have remained unhealed, waiting on something that could have never delivered him. It wasn't his faith that healed this man. It was his grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't the noble man's faith that healed his son. It was the grace of Jesus Christ. Go, your son lives. A matter of fact, he, he, he says, unless you people believe in signs and wonders, you will not believe, but go. <laughs> Your son is healed. It's a lack of faith. Until Christ does the work in us, listen, it will remain incomplete. We see places in the Bible where Jesus met people. We see the right here in the text where Christ meets the man where he was in the middle of this place. And Jesus came to him and met him right there. We see Jesus meet Zacchaeus as, as he watches from a tree. We see Jesus meeting Nicodemus and says, unless the kingdom of God you believe, you will not inherit the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And then Jesus meets the tax collectors. He meets the woman at the well. He meets and meets and meets people right where they are. And many times we want to say, I've got to get better before I come to the Lord. We see Christ calling out in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
You see, I used to have a sin that captivated my life for most of my life. I was saved March 25th, 2001, and that sin still captivated my life, even as a Christian. There was a struggle that I had no victory over until one day I gave it to the Lord. I surrendered my efforts and my pride and I gave everything to God and immediately God began to give me victory over the sins. Piece by piece, step by step, Jesus began to sanctify my life. Listen, it was a process. It, it, was, it wasn't just poof and disappeared. While God can do that most of the time, it's in time that he molds us and he makes us and he sanctifies us. Listen, Christ wants to meet you right where you are this morning. And maybe you come here this morning and you have a sin that's egging you. And you have no victory over it. And you've lost sight of what's important. And you keep thinking, well, I need to get my life right. No, listen, you will never get your life right. Jesus Christ is the only one who can get your life right. It's a process of sanctification. And that's why he says, right, rejoice in your trials. Why? Because those who go through trials are being perfected. So that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow. It's in these trials that God begins to mold us and make us more into the image of his son. And yet we try to suppress them. We try to hide them from our brothers and sisters rather than going to our brothers and sisters and saying, listen, I got a, I got a problem, right? I got an issue that I can't kick and I need you to pray and to intercede with me on behalf of God's grace and mercy that he might sanctify me, that he might rid this sin in my life so that he might be glorified, that he might be exalted. And so he says, come to me, all who are weary. He doesn't go to the book, go to the man, go to that. No, come to me. That many this morning are failing. Listen, everyone he had met, he met in their sin and in their ugliness, yet expounded grace. Can I ask you today, are you willing to come to Christ right where you're at? Because at the end of the day, you can't hide anything from Jesus. He's all-knowing. He knows all things. Are you willing in your fleshly position to allow Christ to meet you today? Yeah, maybe you failed this week. If you didn't fail this week, praise God. Because I failed. I'm sure. Even if I didn't think I failed, the fact that I think I failed, that I didn't fail, probably I failed because of pride. Maybe you watched something you knew didn't honor God. Maybe you spoke to your wife in a way that did not honor her. And maybe you spoke to your husband in a way that did not honor him. Maybe you young people spoke to your mom or your dad in a way that dishonored them. Maybe you spoke to your brother or your sister in a way that did not exalt them. Listen, nobody comes perfect. Maybe you wasted time this week and failed to honor God with the hours he allotted to you. Maybe you went out and thought, oh, I'll just have one more. And one more became two more, and two more became three more, and three more became you was drunk. And maybe you were driving a boat and you ran into a bridge. Listen, we all make mistakes. But God wants to meet us where we're at.
it doesn't matter how big or how little. It doesn't matter. God wants to meet us where we are. Because that's how he does his work. He doesn't need us to be perfect to meet us. He meets us in our imperfection. You get what I'm saying? Maybe we weren't perfect this week. Listen, know this, Christ wants to meet you right where you are because Jesus Christ cares about your needs. But not only does Christ want to meet you where you are, Christ wants to hear you. A man was there that had been ill for 38 years. I mean, we see in the passage, this man has been ill for 38 years. You think he wanted to be healed? Yeah. I mean, this may not seem like a big deal in our day. 38 years, we live, what, 80, 90, 120? Some of us. But in this culture, in the first century Roman Empire, this was the full life expectancy. This man had been sick his whole life. And it was looking like he would die a lame man. For how many years had this man hoped to be the first one in the water? I mean, this was the only way he could be healed, so he thought. So the sickest man was most likely not going to be the one getting in the water, would they? He was helpless. But Christ comes to the one that was old. Christ comes to the one that's less likely to have the ability to get in the water first. Christ is a man of compassion, looking to hear from the helpless and the needy. We see that Jesus walks up to the man that had been sick for so, so long, and he asks him this question, do you want to be healed? He says when Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he'd been there a long time. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knew that he'd been there a long time in that condition. He said to him, do you wish to get well? Yeah. Really seems like a dumb question. Of course the man wants to be healed. But as we look at the passage, we see something special about the passage. And the fact is, is Jesus wanted to hear from this man. Because when he heard from this man, what this man said revealed his heart. Listen, a lot of times our answers, our thoughts, our beliefs tell us a lot about what we believe in our heart. You can tell a lot about a person from their Facebook page, from their Twitter account, from their Instagram, in what they believe, because that which fills the heart comes out of the mouth. And this man, we're going to see, believed in something that was unable to save him, to take care of him, to heal him. Verse 7 says, the sick man answered. Listen to the answer. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when it is stirred, but when I am coming, another steps down before me. The question is quite simple from Jesus. Do you want to be healed? It's a yes or no question, isn't it? But his answer reveals something deep. Because Jesus wants to hear, he asked the question. And his answers point to that which he thought could take care of his illness. His answer shows to us what he was looking for to heal. And that's twofold. First, he says, I have no man to put me in the water. He, his answer reveals his problem. He thinks that man somehow, some way can take care of his problem. This problem that he'd been sick for 38 years. It seems silly to us to think, oh, this man's trying to get in the pool because it's going to heal him. We know that's impossible. Why? Because we have the full counsel of God's word. But in reality, don't we do the same thing? Right? We're all human. This man's just like you and me. 
except he's lame. It's what we do. The first thing we do is when we have a problem or issue or illness, we run to man. And Psalm 14, 2 tells us why we shouldn't run to man, because we get a big picture of God searching for the just one who is able to seek after God. It says the Lord looks down from heaven on all men to see if there are any who understands, any who seek after God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So why do we run to man? I don't know. Because it's a quick fix many times. The same passage is quoted in Romans 3, 10 to 12. It says, as it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. Many times we run to man, don't we? Listen, I submit looking to man isn't the proper method. The first thing we ought to do is pray. To pray to a God who is able to take care, to heal, to deliver, to revitalize. I mean, all that man offers can be helpful, but unless guided and directed through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it shall all be in vain. King Asa. So the reason I named my son Asa. It's a great example of this. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. There in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, we find the famous battle between Asa and the Ethiopian. Asa did good in the sight of the Lord. He removed the foreign altars and the high places. He tore down the sacred pillars. He cut down the ashram and commanded the Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and commandments. He's being a faithful man. He's setting up and establishing a kingdom that is Christ-focused, that is God-focused, and he's doing good. And then we fast forward to verse 8. Now Asa, it says, has an army of 300,000 from Judah bearing large shields and spears and 280 from Benjamin bearing shields and wielded bows. All of them were valiant men. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this dude had a big army, 580,000 men. Army big. But listen to what happens next. All this peace, all this prosperity comes to an end. Or seems to come to an end. In verse 9 we read that now Zerah the Ethiopian king out against them with an army, listen, of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marashal. And Asa went out to meet him. And they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephnat Marashal. And then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is none beside you to help in the battle of, between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name we have come against this multitude. You are our God. Let no man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa. And before Judah. He never had to even fight. Why? Because he trusted in God. He didn't go to man first. He, in the Lord's strength, set himself up in battle formation. And he did great and God gave him victory. That's the good story. But then we fast forward. We fast forward to chapter 16. And here another battle, another threat comes onto the scene And we can learn a great lesson here as Asa partners with someone other than God. And he tries to work this thing out. And it fails. 
And so many times we rely on God ourselves and our own resources. And things seem to go well for a season, don't they? But things are not well when we have stopped hoping in God and started trusting in man. We miss a tremendous blessing and we bring unnecessary hardships on ourselves many times. Look at the blessing Asa missed. Chapter 16, verse 7b says, Because you relied on the king of Assyria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Listen, God would not only have protected Asa from these people, he would have given them the entire Syrian army. But he failed. He threw it away by trusting in money and scheming instead of God. Our trust must be in Christ. I told you it was twofold. This man's trust was not only in man, he, but he also says, I have no man to put me in the water. The second knows that he trusts in, in something materialistic. He says, I have no man to put me in the pool. This was the pools of Bethesda. It helped that the pagan god Asclepius of the time would come in and stir the waters and they could be miraculously healed. He was hoping for healing in the wrong object. It seemed like the right thing to do. Everyone else was doing it. And there had been success in some cases, it seems. Listen, I don't want to make too much out of this. But isn't this the problem today? People search for healing and victory and recovery and health and wealth and marriages and behaviors for their kids that honor Christ and they're buying into some lie that they can find that apart from Christ. You can't get these things through the world system. Through reading a book, addressing the, the fruit issues, you can't change the heart of a nation, a people, a husband, a wife, a child with some man-made methodology. No, if you want true change, true genuine heart change, it must come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we come today, many of us messed up and in need of forgiveness and grace, we come in Christ. We seek His forgiveness and His grace. Many are already believers and we claim 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Many of us are here today, though, like this man. And we've counted on something other than Christ to fix our problems. But I'm here to warn you, it starts with Jesus. Jesus wants to hear this man and what's on this man's heart. And Jesus wants to hear you as well. Jesus knew the man, what his answer was going to be. It said in verse 6, he already knew how long the man had been laying there. So we must assume the Lord knew his supernatural ability. He knew the answer to his question. He was just asking, just like we see with the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, 29, when he says, come, when she said, come, see a man who told me everything I knew. I think that Jesus asked the sick man, do you want to be healed for a different purpose of being curious or not whether he wanted to be healed? He just wanted to know, to hear from him. So how about us today? Are we looking to man, to help in our struggles, in our healings, in our deliverance, or are you relying on the God of the universe? The one for us, not against us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge. The, the Hebrew word there literally means to know. 
And when we know God, we can trust God. And it says he will make straight our paths. What is the object of your trust this morning? This man trusted in humanity. He trusted in the stirrings of the water. And yet Jesus desires to hear his heart because he desires to heal him. But not so much physically. He desires to heal him spiritually. Listen, God the Son is omniscient. That means he has the capability to know everything and everything about you, about your character, about your thoughts, about your feelings, about your life, about the universe that you live in. Nothing gets by Jesus. And God is aware of what you're going through today. And he wants to hear from you. So we have to stop and we have to take a moment and we have to pray and seek after the Lord Jesus Christ because he already knows everything. There was a large group of kids in line for lunch and one of the teachers wanted to make sure that the kids didn't take any extra food and so there, the front of the line was a sign that says, uh, above the apples it said, only take one apple. God is watching. And so the kids walked down the line, and when he got to the end, there was a bowl of cookies, and he took out a piece of paper and wrote it down. And he said, take as many cookies as you want because God's watching the apples. <laughs> and we know this not to be true because God's not limited. Listen, whatever the problem you are having, the Lord is aware of it. And he wants to meet you where you are. But it takes many times for us to lay down our pride, Right to lay down what we think we're able to accomplish and to, to have victory over and trust Christ to do that by relying and praying that the Lord Jesus Christ would do it. And God is so gracious, isn't he? That the Bible says, when we don't even know what to pray, that Jesus Christ intercedes on our behalf. That's a blessing. So listen, God wants to not only hear from you, he wants to change you. Let me explain. Christ changed this man's life Listen, this is important. This man did nothing. But he responded to the question that Jesus asked him. Do you want to be healed? Jesus said to him this, get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Jesus, listen, wants to change your life this morning. I'm not going to promise you that Jesus will heal you and give, give you, uh, if you just have faith, Jesus is not required to heal you physically. Although he may, and we pray that God would heal everybody physically, if it be his will. He doesn't promise that he will heal you in the temporal. But he does promise you a place prepared for you where there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more tears. And that is in the kingdom of God. Not everybody gets healed, folks. All these fake healers and rallies dare not go to the hospital. They dare not go to St. Joseph, St. Jude. Listen, God gave Paul the grace to heal the crippled man in Lystra in Acts 14.10. He gave many people healing in Acts 19.12. And the demonized girl in Philippi in Acts 16.18. And Eutychus... When he was taken up after dead, remember when he preached so long, a guy fell asleep, fell out the window and died, he, he gets healed in Acts 20, 9 and 10. But Paul could not heal himself from the thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. 
or from the ailment that he had when he preached in Galatia 4, 13 to 14. And evidently, he could not heal Timothy of his stomach ailments. Aphroditus, when when there was a life-threatening sickness in Philippians 2, 26 and 27. Listen, sometimes Paul was given the gift of healing and sometimes he wasn't. But God is sovereign in this matter. He's in control in this matter. And there is nothing mechanical, there is nothing automatic when it comes to healing. There is not a button. Yes, God can heal. Yes, God can deliver. But it's not because of us that this happens. It's because Christ shows grace. It's about love. Listen to their response. Now, after this healing, it says, Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the men who was, was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered, Right, you... He who made me well was the one whom said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him and said, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? And the man did, was, who was healed did not know for who, who it was. For Jesus slipped away there while there was, was a crowd in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Wow. Listen, I want to stop here for a second and make the point that this man, his sin didn't is not caused by this man's illness. At least we're not told so. Sin didn't, his sin didn't cause his illness. Jesus wants the man to understand that it would be worse for him to be judged by an eternal God, right? As an unforgiven sinner, than to live as a lame man. He says, you're healed, but go and sin no more. It's a miracle with a message. It's a miracle with a message. And the man goes away and he tells the Jews, oh, it's Jesus who made me well. For this reason, the Jews are persecuting him because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. They're, they're more concerned about the law than about grace. And they miss it. They miss the miracle. That's legalism, folks. But Jesus says things straight in verse 17 when he says, But he answered them, My father is working until now, and, my, and I myself am working. Listen, the Sabbath restrictions did not apply to Christ or God. God was working and so was Christ even on the Sabbath. And they are still working today. And they're not limited. So what is it you're dealing with today? Whatever it is, God can change you. Because Jesus cares about your needs. Just as God wanted to change this man, so God wants to change you and to make you more like himself, that he may be glorified. God is concerned with your spirituality and your walk with him. Don't get me wrong, God is concerned with the physical. Right? He cares. He has a heart. He weeps with those who weeps. But this life is temporal. And salvation takes place like that. When we trust in Jesus Christ.
And it doesn't matter how old you are, how much time you have left. If you will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us today you will be with me in paradise. Remember the thief on the cross? What did he do? Nothing. He simply believed. The Bible says you lack one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Look, if we are renewed in Christ, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, if we are born again, if the Lord has saved you, we will never die. He who has the Son has the life. He who has the Son has life. Present tense. Now. The moment you believe you're saved and you are living for eternity. Everybody's living for eternity, right? It just matters the time where you're going to be. Now, the Bible says there's more going down than there's going up, but the reality is we're all living for eternity. Christ wants to change your heart above all. What's keeping you from trusting in Christ and allowing Him to change your life today? Get up. Pick up your pallet. And walk. And immediately, the man becomes well. Listen, Christ cares about your needs. He wants to meet you. He wants to hear you. But he wants to change you. We allow God to change you today. From the inside out. That you might have the hope of eternity with the Father. With the Son in heaven. Rejoicing for eternity. Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you are challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.